Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day of the life of Jesus meets yours. In this episode, we have our sermon from this past Sunday, from May 30th, 2021, talking about the kingdom of Christ as he describes it in John chapter 3. After you've listened, be sure to check out the show notes for our sermon discussion guide, available both as a PDF and also in the show notes. Just keep scrolling. Here goes. Dear fellow redeemed, As I mentioned at the beginning of the worship service, we're going to be looking a little bit more closely over the next couple of weeks at the various portions of the small catechism. uh, There's like six different parts to the small catechism, and if the last time that you looked at it was maybe eighth grade, well, that's why we review these things. And when you were confirmed in your faith, well, first of all, what in the world is confirmation? Confirmation is that period of instruction in the small catechism, and hopefully with a little bit of biblical understanding and a bit Bible history behind it. And for our congregation here, it's a period of four years from fifth grade through eighth grade, so that we get two years with Bible history, and then two years specifically with the small catechism. Not that the catechism is the word of God, but it is a very nice, clear, and concise summary of that word of God. And at the end of that period of instruction, when that young person, or or if you came to faith or came to the Lutheran church later in life, um, that person comes to the front of the church and is confirmed in the faith. And all that really is, is a recognition that this person has looked at God's word with us, and they want to publicly declare that, first of all, that they believe the same thing as us, that they're united in faith with us, and... It's also kind of the pastor saying that this person has the ability to examine himself or herself before coming to the Lord's table. That's the first part. The other aspect, when you look at especially the confirmation promises, they're kind of serious. Do you intend with the help of God to remain a Christian even to the point of death? And I think about six years ago or so, I added a little bit to that confirmation vow. Do you intend to put up with ridicule and bullying and maybe something else rather than desert Jesus as your Savior, rather than desert this Christian faith? And I say it's a serious promise and it's a serious commitment because, yes, it is a promise that we make under God's guidance and under God's grace that God will continue to work through his means of grace to help us keep that promise. But as a parent, or as a teacher, as a grandparent, as a friend, or an aunt or an uncle, to see this young person who is you know, maybe in eighth grade is a fairly common age for confirmation, maybe a little bit older, but to see this young person stand up and say that they would rather die than walk away from the true Christian faith just kind of makes you take a breath for a moment. We wonder, on the one hand, is it that serious? We wonder, on the other hand, is my child, who um, has a hard enough time loading the dishwasher and putting their clothes away, is my child really ready to make that promise? And that's why we need to look especially at our gospel lesson today from John chapter 3, talking about what is the kingdom of our triune God, and how does he bring us and keep us in this kingdom. 
Because it's not the, the standing up at the front of church that makes a person a member of this kingdom. It's not a person's own declaration or their own, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, their own emotional response or their own dedication that makes them a member of the kingdom of Christ. But rather, it is the down arrow of God's grace to us in word and sacrament. That's exactly what Jesus talks about um, in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Verse 3, Jesus says, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that helps us to understand a little bit what this kingdom is. That the kingdom of our Lord is not some external organization. It's not simply membership to say that I'm on the books of this place and I go to this place with these people. That the kingdom of God is this spiritual body of Christ that stretches across space and time. That means that, yes, you as a Christian are united in faith with Christians on the other side of the world, with Christians who have lived at different times, so that even when we sing a hymn from the late 16th century, I think that was, um, that was our hymn of the day today, Lord Jesus Christ with us abide. The guy who wrote it died in like, I don't know, 1620. And even though that hymn at, at its youngest is at least 400 years old, at the same time we can rejoice in that hymn and recognize that this, these words really speak of the truth that you and I still hold to today. That's the unity that we have in this Christian faith. And even, even back further, the Athanasian Creed, dating back almost 1,800 years, the Athanasian Creed, which if you thought our hymns were long, try singing you know, all 27 verses of the Athanasian Creed, <laughs> that Christians at various times and places have confessed these same truths, that that gives us a glimpse into what the Christian church is, this spiritual body of believers united in one common faith, as Jesus has continued to do exactly what he did and exactly what he fulfilled in doing last week, in sending the Holy Spirit to create faith and strengthen faith, so that even on that day of Pentecost, what, 2% of the people in Jerusalem that day were baptized, over 3,000 of them? And still today, and still today, even young people and older people alike are baptized into the same Christian faith. It's a spiritual body because unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It must be a spiritual body because if it were anything else, then you would be able to see a church. You would be able to see the membership roles. You would be able to see an organization. But unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, so we've got that. That's fairly straightforward, Pastor Hagen. That's like the third article of the Apostles' Creed. Um, and maybe we even talked about it in the Athanasian Creed somewhere in there. What is the kingdom of God? It's the spiritual body of believers. But how is one made a member of that kingdom of God? And where does standing up at the front of the church and promising that you would rather be, what, thrown to the lions like the second century Christians rather than give up on this Jesus? Promising that you would rather be shipped off to the gulag with the 20th century Soviet Christians rather than give up on this Jesus? And why do we obligate our children to that? Unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus explains it a little bit more at the last part of John chapter 3. When he says there's only two options. There's either light or darkness. There's two options. There's either life or death. There's two options. There's either life through the sun or condemnation with the world. And you and I, you and I don't like to think about things in, in such a sharp contrast, but that's the way Jesus puts it. And it's kind of one of those decisions where, um, as a parent, or when you, when you see Jesus talk about it here, it's one of those decisions where you, you have to make some sort of a decision. I'm not talking about the decision to come to faith because that doesn't exist. But I'm talking about training our children and encouraging them so that they will be able to stand even to the point of death. Because neglecting to train them and saying, well, you know, I'll just let them choose their own way when they get old enough. That's the same thing as saying, well, I'm just going to consign them to this, the, the kingdom of darkness, and if they find their way out, great. Because <laughs> there's only these two options, the light and the darkness. And those who are members of the spiritual kingdom of Christ live in the light. And we share this light. We gather around this light together. We have light from our Lord. And that light shines within you and through you as well. And the only other option isn't, um, there, there's no middle ground, like, well, you'll kind of figure it out from the middle. The only other option is the darkness. And the way God describes darkness is the place of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The way God describes darkness is not pleasant at all. Talk about understatement of the day. And so we've got the kingdom of Christ. We've got how is it that one is made a, king, a member of the kingdom of Christ while they are born again? And Nicodemus says in verse 4, well, okay, that doesn't make sense. How can you be born again? And Jesus explains, verse 5, he continues, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water and the spirit. What he's talking about there is holy baptism. He's kind of looking ahead to it because he doesn't really institute baptism as a command for Christians until he gets to um, shortly before his ascension. But he says, unless somebody is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And you flip that around, the only way that somebody can enter the kingdom of God or the way that someone is brought into the kingdom of God is through water and the spirit. That's the blessing that our Lord gives in baptism. That's the blessing as water dribbles off the head, as the little baby starts crying because they normally do, that that child is brought into the kingdom of light, that that child is brought into the kingdom of life, which maybe circles us back around to wondering then why do we, do we obligate our eighth graders or older to stand at the front of church and to promise to remain faithful to Jesus even to the point of death? Here's this person who is 12, maybe 13, maybe 14 years old. <laughs> they don't even, don't quite know the first thing about life, although they'll probably tell you that they do. Do they know what they're saying? Well, hopefully. But even greater, 
that it was at baptism that you were made a member of the kingdom of Christ. And the fact that we have somebody verbalize the reality of that in front of church is simply putting words to what has always been the case. That that child who was baptized at that baptismal font or elsewhere, that that child has already been committed to the kingdom of life and light. And yes, the devil wants to stalk his prey, and the devil wants to lead us astray. And really, he's got one lie that he puts in two different ways. Um, he says, first of all, you can believe what you want, and then as long as you live correctly. That's what he says to those who are still trapped in darkness, the lie that you can believe what you want as long as you live correctly. And to the Christian, you can live how you want as long as you believe correctly. That you can live how you want as long as you believe correctly, as long as you have verbalized what it is that you believe, then you can live how you want and it doesn't really matter. One lie in, in two different forms. Believe the right thing, live how you want, or live the right way, believe what you want. And that is the battle to which you were committed at holy baptism. That is the, the lifeline that God used to bring your child out of spiritual death in holy baptism. That is the life that we share in the light of our Lord as we gather at his table. And so when this young person stands up at the front of our church and says, uh, and pastor says, well, do you firmly intend with the help of God to remain a Christian even to the point of death and putting up with ridicule, bullying, and, and persecution rather than give up on Jesus? Then, if so, please loudly and clearly for all to hear answer yes as God gives me strength. Do you see the point and the purpose of our Christian confession? Because Jesus pulls the curtain back, he pulls the shroud back on spiritual reality, and he says, dear Christian, dear Christian, you are still living in, yes, enemy territory. Satan has the kingdom of this world, and he will do all that he can to distract and drive away from the word of God. He will do all he can to distract and drive away every single person that he can. And the lions that, that we ought to watch out for aren't the lions of the Colosseum, at least not today, but the lion known as the devil himself, who would want to delude our fellow Christians and delude us. But do you see the point of, of your confession? Not our confession of sin, but our confession of faith. Today that went on to the next page. Or our confession of faith, as we take a portion of the small catechism every single Sunday over the course of the year. That this is one of the blessings of, that our God has done in bringing his people together, his church together, as up to five generations worshiping together in one place. Everything from the youngest little baby all the way up through the oldest member of ours encompassing five generations of people. And two or three of those generations, at least on the older, older end of the spectrum, two or three of those generations having lived through pain and suffering 
having lived through difficult times, having perhaps um, put up with and even suffered from persecution, whether something overt or something more subdued, those older generations of Christians who can say, you know what, it's worth it. My Jesus was faithful and through the thick and through the thin. My Jesus was there for the happy moments and also through the sad. And the younger generations among us, kind of encouraging and being here, that your heart just sings for joy when we hear the babies crying in the back or screaming as the, as the case may be, or sitting there and joining in the songs that we all sing together that we aren't looking to narrow down our proclamation to only fit the needs or wants of one particular group, but to broaden our proclamation so that all of us can join in this confession together, so that young and old alike can join in a confession of faith that says, you know what, my Lord has brought me out of death into life. My Lord has promised. My Lord has promised that he will continue to be with me and bless me. My Lord has made such tremendous promises that nothing in this world is worth giving up on this Jesus. Which brings us around again to that confession that we make. That at your baptism, Jesus compelled you and brought you into this family of believers. And throughout our lives, whether it was the day when we stood up here and promised, or whether it's the day of just punching the clock on a Tuesday afternoon, throughout our lives, we still make this confession. A confession of who we are and what we believe. And sometimes that confession is just the, the silent example of following through with the ethical and correct, biblically correct choice. And sometimes that confession is a little bit more explicit as we put words to what we believe and why we have the attitude that we do. And that's the question. At a time when clear confession of our Lord's truth is needed, have we done that? As people who, you know, for the vast majority of us at this altar or another, stood up before the altar of God and promised that I want to do all that I can to remain a follower of Jesus, even to the point of death. <laughs> and, and everything that would precede death isn't enough to scare me away, ridicule, bullying, or fill in the blank. How has our confession of faith been? When we gather together and a child is baptized, and, um, and there's a part at the end of the baptismal rite, speaking to the congregation, do you intend to support this family and that this child may remain a child of God until death? If so, I do and ask God to help me. That the voice of the congregation joins together, united in this confession, <laughs> that Jesus is worth it. And as a result, we want to support this family so that they also are built up so that they have the tools and the encouragement so that they don't give up on this Jesus because he's worth it. Because there at your baptism, God gave you new life. There at your baptism, God brought you into his kingdom of light. And there at your baptism, God said, you know what? You've got the greatest blessings and promises of God in the world. 
blessings and promises that, uh, of a family that extends beyond the bounds of space, time, and geography. You've got the blessing of your Lord coming to each one individually with his self-same promise of forgiveness in the Lord's table. You've got this family of believers, and just look around. They need your confession, too. They need your confession of faith, too, because we are united in this one Jesus, that your sin and mine, that your and my lack of confession has been washed away by the one who stood up and said before Pilate, yes, it is as you say, that our confession is only inspired and built upon the confession that Jesus made as he stood before Pilate. And the confession that we make is simply a statement of the spiritual reality that will come to, come to fruition at the end of time. That even if we were to not talk about the end of time, it's still going to come. Just the same as if we were to not talk about the battle that you were committed to in holy baptism, it's still there. And so what should we do? Well, find a way to speak about your faith. Find a way to live out your faith. Even, um, <laughs> this is the example part of the sermon, I suppose. If you go out into the fellowship hall, we've got a stack of these books. And I think we're on our third box of these. And, um, and if you know somebody who doesn't have a church home, or somebody whose church has not been serving them for the last year or 18 months, take one of these and pass it along and say, I'd really like you to read this and you know, maybe even take one for yourself because we've got another box coming probably in a couple of weeks. And it's this book called God the Ultimate Humanitarian, the, the story of how God keeps on giving. Or conversely, if you don't have one of these at home, I've got more of them some, over in the library, I think. Um, this is the, the newest and most updated version of our small catechism where we talk about the, uh, the truths of God's word. Summarized nicely in, in various colors, not, not, the old, uh, not the old blue and gray that maybe you had, or, or the green one, or the, the, the brown one before that. Why? Because our Lord has given you new life. He has done that in holy baptism. He has brought you into this family of believers. And we need to be equipped and reminded so that we can make that clear confession of faith. Whether it's that day when we stand up to somebody who is ridiculing and bullying us for our faith, or whether it's simply out of love, care, and concern for the fellow Christians of all ages that we worship with, that they need your confession of faith too. A confession that, yes, you're committed to at holy baptism, that God inspires through his word, and a confession that remains even to the point of death. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to check out the Sermon Discussion Guide, again available as PDF in the show notes or just paste it into the show notes. And if you have any questions, comments, or reactions, our contact info is there as well. God bless your day.